0: And welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Jim Pinnock. Now Jim is out with his memoirs called "Call My Pants Down, Another Tales from a Life of Hollywood. The actor, writer, producer shares some great stories in his memoirs. I listened to the audiobook, it's absolutely fantastic. We talk about working with Christopher Guest. Obviously, best in show, he portrayed Trevor Beckwith, one of the commentators in The Dog Show, alongside Fred Willard. He plays the perfect straight man he co-created the hbo show family tree with christopher he was in it as well not to mention the netflix movie mascots that he also co-created with christopher we talk about some of the other roles he's been in we talk about soccer the world cup final and whether they should get rid of penalty kicks as a uh determining factor in a championship or advancement we talk about some of the other uh, stuff he's done, his relationship with Bill Paxton that uh, I took out of his memoirs, which was fascinating, and he shares some great stories about the movie Your Caddy, uh, if people don't remember that movie. Jim, super sweet guy. I really enjoyed my conversation with him, and I hope you do as well. So, Jim, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, so we're you know almost a week removed from probably the greatest World Cup final you know ever. You know, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, Argentina beat France. My only concern with games that result in championships or advancement are penalty kicks. I absolutely hate it that the game basically comes down to a one-on-one between you know the kickers and the goalies what are your thoughts on like
1: penalty kicks deciding I agree in a certain way but on the other hand I mean I watched a few league cup games in England between teams I cared nothing about and all I was hoping for was that they go to penalty so there'd be some wonderful drama at the end um I agree um in this instance, I didn't feel too bad because the better team in the 120 minutes won on penalties. Right. So uh it felt like justice was done. But I do agree. Um, you know, whether it's the final or semi-final, any really, any progression. Um, but but I, I don't know what the alternative is. It's it's part of the game penalties. You know, they used to have shootouts in American soccer where they would go from the halfway line. And it's the right. same thing. It's, it's it's like deciding a basketball game on free throws at the end if it's all tied, you know. What other ways are there to do it? You know, could you do it on um, number of shots on target? You know, I mean, it, yeah. it, it sort of becomes like boxing. It's on points and then it's just those stats are meaningless you know it's like possession stats in soccer A team can have 80 percent possession during a game yeah. and, and lose 3-0 you know right. it means nothing so i i'm not sure what the better way is other than keep playing till someone drops dead
0: yeah i mean you, you never want to see that but if you keep, you keep playing <laughs> no. yeah 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 that would be good for the sport But, like, maybe take away, like, you know, you you play maybe 15 minutes and take
1: away a player on each team, make it then 10 v 10, and then... I think that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. Again, it becomes a bit random. It's not... They're not winning then on on the games of... The rules of of football or soccer. But that's an interesting idea. I mean, I think that's that's valid. I mean, they used to have a thing called Golden Goal. Right. Where... um, you know, you try and score during the, the extra half hour or actually as soon as someone scored in that extra half hour, yeah. the game was over, which is right. actually much better way to do it. Much better yeah. way. However, what happened was everybody became so cautious not to give away that goal, that it, yeah. it became 30 minutes of utter tedium mostly. So, yeah. you know, yeah. and then sometimes end without anyone scoring. So you have to, what do you do? Another half hour, you just keep going and then you advertisers go. are going nuts.
0: Yeah, like I'm a huge hockey fan. So now they, in regular season, they, they'll have, you know, three on three for overtime for like five minutes and then they go into the shootout. Whereas the po- the postseason, they just play till someone scores. So, I mean, and, right. yeah, so they have like three on three. And when that first was implemented, it was wild. You know, it could go back and forth. It, it, it was crazy. Now it's more of a possession where a team will hold the puck for a good three minutes of the five not to give up, yeah. you know, th- that breakaway goal. So it's kind of similar to like the golden goal in, in, in that regard. Yeah. But yeah.
1: I, but, uh, I suppose actually now we're talking about it, you could just keep going. Like baseball will go, you know, 23 innings if they have to. Yeah. Until the deadlock's broken. And, and that's probably, that you probably, yeah, if, if people could get on board with that and go, okay, the final may end up lasting, you know, four hours. Uh uh, still shorter than the average American football game, so yeah, <laughs> <you> know, exactly. <laughs> you know, still, in, still in good shape. Um I think that's not a terrible idea actually. And and you have uh, you have a squad of twenty five players, so you can just keep, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, that's not a terrible idea. Just ex- you know, take away the restrictions of the time limit. Um yeah. it, it would drive networks here insane because right. they're advertised, but Yeah, of but you know, I, I don't mind that idea at all. I'm going to propose that. I shall propose all right, so. that. At, the next uh, football league meeting. Yeah, please do.
0: Now, and now, I'll give now, you credit. I appreciate that. Now, now, do you think, like, kind of like the world? I know it's every four, you know, similar to the Olympics. That soccer in America. I know it's there's very diehard fans here, but everyone gets excited for those three weeks, and then all of a sudden, it's gone.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of international football, but so for me, it was like, okay, I've got I might as well watch these because there's nothing else on, right. Um, and I was very, very, very strongly against it being in Qatar for a lot, a lot of obvious reasons yeah. that other people were. Um, having said that, it, it ended up on the field being a, a great World Cup. Um, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm club football is my thing. Right, um, I'm, right. Um, As you can see by what I'm wearing. And um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just don't, uh, I, I can't get excited. Uh, someone said to me, you know, after England got knocked out, you know, oh, sorry about that. And I said, look, when England lose a game, it takes me five seconds to get over it when crystal palace lose a game it takes me five days right um so that's really the difference for me
0: yeah it's i'm i'm the same way when it goes to say like hockey in the olympics or 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 whatnot you know it's 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 a it's a fun you know escape for a little bit but it's yeah exactly i you know Actively, you know, like look for it. Yeah.
1: it's nice to see different cultures and different, you know, and see it all come together. I like that aspect of it. The, yeah, the, the sort of aspect that you're seeing players and and teams that you wouldn't normally watch, but it, it's a, a bit of a contrivance these days. I think nationalism. Right? I think nationalism in any shape or form is a bit of a contrivance. Yeah. Now, like, see with the with the American national team, I would say
0: maybe ninety percent of those players play internationally. So you have a lot yeah, of, a lot league, of in like, Europe like, now yeah. league and stuff like that. So yeah. I mean, which obviously, the you know best soccer is played, it's like kind of reverse of say like hockey or basketball, where the NBA NHL is the you know the world's best uh leagues. So they have the international leagues, you know, in Europe and whatnot. So it's kind of you know a couple steps below. So it's the reverse here with the MLS. The MLS is a great product, it's been here for almost 30 years now, you know. Which yeah, but but I kind of think it knows its place. It's kind of like a second-tier league.
1: Well, it doesn't have to be. Um, no. I think that there are some very, very good players coming through MLS. But you're right; once they get to a certain point, unless they are one of the designated players, they're going to probably go to South America or or, or Europe to make decent money and yeah. and get on the on the international stage. Um, because yeah, the MLS is still uh, it's still not a top league, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, listen, absolutely. the French League isn't exactly the best league in the world, but they still, still produce tons of great players. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they were definitely
0: on stage uh, last weekend. <laughs> uh, I have one quick uh, cutter story to tell you. I used to work for Al Jazeera America. so oh, yeah. Yeah. For, so the three years that it was in existence and you know, we get laid off. So I get a nice severance package from them right around when my son was being bar mitzvahed. So I took that severance money and paid for my... Son's bar mitzvah, so I had an Arab company pay for my Jewish son's Perfect. mitzvah. So Perfect. yeah, so it, it worked out nicely in that regard. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean,
1: I I always uh, I, I, I thought Al Jazeera is one of, is one of the better news sources in yeah. the world. I mean, a friend of mine, David Chater, uh, is an English reporter who worked for them for a long while, um, and he's a very very respected reporter, uh, war war correspondent. I, I think they're they're really good. I mean, it's just people people's prejudice, you know. You know, yeah. they go Al Jazeera, Arab news. Got to be, you yeah. know, anti, anti-Israel, anti, whatever. Right. And it's just nonsense, you know. I think yeah. we've got got to get rid of this uh, this ridiculous idea. Uh, the fighting globalism is so stupid. It, it's too late. It's too late. The yeah. world's too it's, small now. The I know. world's too small.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's a real shame because when I was researching, you know, the position, I'm like, I, I don't want to say no right away because. You hear al jazeera so you know, i did my research and i'm like oh this is a real reputable, well, you know network the news is great it's right down the middle it's not two talking heads screaming at each other for 15 minutes but you know unfortunately this country wasn't ready for it
1: no and i i i don't know how it's doing in the rest of the world because i don't know enough about al jazeera but right. my my instinct and, I, and you can tell me if i'm wrong is the reason it failed in america is the name the yeah. people just weren't ready because this country is so, uh, you know, damned insular. Yeah. It's so uh, small-minded. And, and the, the, when I saw the statistic about the percentage of Americans that have passports, it's horrific to me. Yeah. It's horrific. You know, that to, to think that America is the world, which a lot of these idiots, nationalists, right. maga lunatics do, is, is pathetic. It's pathetic. Yeah. I mean, even in darkest corners of the world, people have got more of a global perspective, even in restrictive regimes in Iran, in China, in Russia, they, they understand the world more than some of these, you know, idiots in this country. And, and by the way, I don't believe it's as big a number of idiots as other people do. Right. Um, I don't, I think that 20% of this country is, is basically, uh, should be euthanized, euthanized. <laughs> I can't even find the right word. Yeah. Um, it, I, seriously, it's just absolute. Fucking idiots, and yeah. I and you can bleed that out if you have to bleed. I'm not um, doing it. <laughs> and it and it really is just it. It's so upsetting because they shout the loudest, and yeah, all the wonderful, wonderful, creative, progressive, intelligent people in this country who who really are responsible for a lot of great things in the world are being held back by this loud voice of morons who who are clinging to something yeah. that they never had and never existed anyway no and and thank god i think we're moving through it and and thank god it will destroy one of the major parties in this country who who bowed down to it and and for the wrong reasons yeah and the same in england i think the 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 one party chose and it wasn't a bad party chose to to go uh, uh, the wrong route and 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 only only proceed on the process of what will get us elected and ultimately, it's like in life—you you, you take a job only for the money, or you take a marriage for the wrong reasons. Right. Anything you do that's ill ill motivated will come back to haunt you. There's just it's just a rule of life. Yeah. And and you might get away with it for eighty years, but before you croak, you won't. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, I'll talk about something that's a little more pleasant. Mm. Uh, yeah. I you know I, I recently finished your. Um, audio version of your memoirs uh, call my pants down other tales from a life in Hollywood. It is fantastic. Everyone. Thank you. Check out, you know, either the the book or the audiobook. It's, it's a great listen. Now did your like kind of background in like screenwriting, did that help you kind of shape the book a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think screenwriting is a craft. Writing for television or film is a craft rather than genuine writing. I'm writing my first novel now and, and it's, okay. it's different. You know, that's proper writing. And um, so I learned the craft of screenwriting. I think what it helped is I'm, I'm ruthless about, I was ruthless about cutting stuff if I didn't think it was interesting. Right. Um, and I and I think I'm fairly objective about, um, as as I am as an actor about what's funny or what's entertaining and what's not. I, I think to be boring is the biggest crime mm-hmm. in, um, in any form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd rather be bad or dreadful yeah. than, than boring and and so when i wrote the book um i was very ruthless it was you know a good t- probably 20,000 pages longer at one point and i and i just thought no these are vignettes these each chapter's got to have a punch and and each one has to have a little kind of punchline at the end you know almost uh so the story and each one had to have a purpose a story that had some validity whether it be emotional humorous impactful yeah. uh It had to have a purpose, otherwise it was gone. I didn't want to write, and then I did this movie, and then I did that play, and then I did this TV show. That, to me, and it's my life, is incredibly boring. That would be so dull. (laughs) I I, I find it dull when very famous people that have done wonderful work and are much better known than me write autobiographies like that. They don't interest me. And, and, um, And I think the ones that really do are people that are, A, brutally honest. About themselves and about other people, and I tried not to censor myself at the risk of never working again. Yeah, right. Um, but four of the people that I utterly do slam, and I'm, it's generally a very, I think, um, well-spirited, not mean-spirited book. It's very generous to most people, but there were three or four people in my life I came across who were who were I thought on the balance of not just one instance on the balance of what I knew and had experienced w- were dreadful to, right. to work with. And again, I do, I had a caveat saying, you know, it's just me. That was my experience. Yeah. And, and I call them out on it. And one of them's dead. So it doesn't matter. They can't sue me. Yeah. But the other three I felt deserved to get it kicked in the nuts because they behaved appallingly. And, and um, I, I don't think bad behavior should be allowed. And I think, Tolerance of bad behavior or criminality is what um is what 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 has led us into a lot of problems in the world throughout history. And and that sounds like a massively over grand over aggrandizing statement compared to my my silly little book, which is a fun read yeah. for on a plane or on a beach. Yeah. But but I do I do I think underneath um the frivolity of this book, which is was written almost exclusively to entertain. Um, I think underneath that there was a serious side of myself that I discovered, well, I didn't discover it, I knew about it a serious side that comes through. and I think by the end, there is kind of quite a strong message about life. and and that's why I think the book is appealing to people who have no interest in show business right. because it it could be the stories could be set in any milieu. It's just I happen to have worked with a lot of very famous people and done a lot of you know big movies and TV shows. And so that kind of adds a little bit of juice to it. But, but ultimately, those stories and those experiences have impactful meaning, I think, for people who have no interest in show business. And that's what I've experienced the feedback anyway. Right. And like you, I'm not going to mention that person that you kind of, you know,
0: so, well, yes. yeah, yeah, I, I don't want, to want people to read or listen to the book, but um, you you did a little like poll on Facebook about the ten people yeah. you worked with, and that one person being in each day. You kind of like eliminated yeah. that person, but one person actually, the person I thought of who it was, I'm just gonna mention, was Faye Dunaway. I'm yeah, like, yeah. everybody was, gets it wrong. Everybody exactly, gets right? It. And then you said that you know she she was great to work with. Um, yeah. Because and I, I think even this week on Twitter they they, they showed like a video of uh, Betty Davis on the Tonight Show, just destroying Faye Dunaway on the TV movie yeah. they used to work with. So I'm like, ah, oh, it must have been Faye Dunaway, but it, it wasn't. So um, it that's it's kind of interesting. Like yeah, you said, a lot of
1: a lot of people on that list of ten have previous, so it could yeah. have been. There are a lot. It's right. like an Agatha Christie, you know. Exactly. Story. Right. There were a lot of suspects. Yeah.
0: Right. It was like you know a, a murder on the social media express, you know. But uh, exactly. Yeah, but there was uh, one like thing that kind of surprised me in the book that was your kind of relationship with Bill Paxton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that you know, I, you really wouldn't think you know, the two of you were were kind of close, but um, just talk a little bit about Bill and your relationship with him.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say we were super close. We were friends for over a long period of time, um, even though we'd only worked together just three months before he died, um, which was fantastic um, sort of uh, from a selfish point of view to have that experience before we lost him. Um, I, I write about that because it's sort of really, again, about how how in life we have these unlikely friendships that you, you would put us together and go, there's chalk and there's cheese. You know, we're so different. He really was, you know, a a quintessential extrovert from Texas, um, who was, but would would always surprise me. He knew an awful lot about art. Everyone sort of thinks of Bill as sort of an action guy. And, you know, he's he's always like, hey, he's always that guy that bursts (laughs) into a scene saying, hey guys, we gotta get out of here. You know, uh, um, he's always that guy. Uh, And I'm sort of much drier and obviously far more English and more introverted. So it, it was odd, but we would always get a kick out of each other. And and um, a, and as I say, we 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 never we we wanted to work together many times. We optioned things together to do as for him to direct and me to write. Uh, he wanted to re- direct a script I'd written. That's how we first met. Uh, and then finally, he was doing that show, Training Day, um, right. and, and called me and said, "Look, I've just hey Birdie, I've just suggested you for this part. It'd be great." And I said, well, what is it, Bill? You know, because I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be my usual, uh, the British kind of, uh, I don't know, judge or the, the professor yeah. or, the, you know, the doctor right. or something. Yeah. He said, he's a serial killer uh, who, who locks <laughs> these prostitutes up in his basement and and puts them in dioramas, you know? And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> who in the right mind would have thought of me for that? But it was genius. He was a right. genius that way. He was so creative. And it was actually... One of the most interesting things I've done on camera because um, it just it was sort of the unlikely serial killer, but and I, and I was able to play this kind of version of of Phil Spector, right? Like, like a British Phil Spector yeah. with the weird wigs and just this vocal pattern and just the creepiest guy. I mean, I, there was one scene where I had this young woman trapped, you know, in a, a dialogue and I was, you know, circling around her in a sort of a predatory manner. And she came up to the screen, the glass of the cage to sort of plead to let her out. And I just stared at her and I stepped forward and this was completely improvised. And I licked the glass where, she, where her face was. It was so <laughs> disgusting. I creeped myself out. Right. As soon as the take was over, I apologized to everyone. I said, that was just horrible in every way. <laughs> And they said, no, it was great. I loved it. It, I don't know if it ended up in the thing, but it was so nasty. And Mm -hmm. and it was so much fun to get to do that because normally I just get to be snotty or um, silly. Right. Now, do you still have to, like, audition for Because you you've guest starred
0: in, like, so many shows, with it's drama and comedy. Do you have to audition for
1: I don't stuff? very much. I mean, I, I sort of put a standing order in a couple of years ago with my agent the manager and said, I'm not really that interested in... It's all self-tapes now. You don't actually go into a room. Right. And I used to like that. I used to kind of... Well, not like it. I don't like it. I don't like... I've never liked auditions. But I used to like that better than I like doing self-tapes. Um, self-tapes, sort of, they want... A finished performance in the room, you can work on something and give them a shot at it, and then say, okay, let's play and go around. And you can get some back and forth. Um, and, and I've actually done Zoom interviews or, or, or stuff with, with directors, and, and I like that better, where you get to kind of give them a sense of who you are and how you approach it, and then read a little bit with them and, and not try and give a performance. So I don't, I very, very rarely will do that. Um, and I'm luckily in a position where I don't need to. But every so often something comes along where they go, well, th- literally everyone and their uncle wants this part, so you're going to have to. Yeah. So I reluctantly do it and um, generally never get it. So uh, so, so it's sort of, yeah. I mean, after 40 years, I've got, you know, so much that people can look at. And if they right. don't know who I am, well, that's fine. I, I don't know who they are either. Right. Um, these young <laughs> casting directors. Um, so... It feels like if you can't see what I can do based on my demo tapes or reels that are available anywhere, um you know, good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the working relationships
0: you have is with the Christian guests who you yeah. know, both of you have made so much, you know, tremendous work. I just want to focus on one real quick was Family Tree. I absolutely yeah. love the show. Uh oh, great. Was, yeah. Was there ever talk? Did you guys were, were you planning to do a second season
1: before exactly- yeah i mean I, I love that show i think that was some of chris's greatest work and and it, and it did reasonably well it actually did yeah. very well critically in this country particularly and um and it was had built a cult following right away it, it was a slow burn you know the series started slow because it set the table like chris's right. films yeah exactly you know, and then it just kind of gained yeah. real momentum and steam and by 7 episode 7 and 8 you know we're really into it I, I love that show and i'm very very proud of it as is chris um we would have done a second season but it was one of those business things that it became too expensive for uh nbc universal international who 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 owned it and deficit deficit financed uh what hbo and the bbc wouldn't put in so we were running at that time quite high per episode it was it was um it was expensive for a half hour. Uh, it was very expensive for a half hour at that time. Now, they, what they didn't do is come to us and say, look, we'll do a second season. Can you knock off, you know, three, four, 500,000 right. off the budget each episode? And we'd have probably found a way to do it because right. we've worked under immense uh, financial constraints. But they didn't. And that was, I think, a mistake because both HBO and the BBC, see we're interested in doing another series and and absolutely the the fan base was um, very upset that we didn't continue it because we left it on a bit of a cliffhanger yeah now speaking of that did tom stay in la oh he would have yeah he would have stayed yeah exactly in in la for the for the time being in in season two yeah yeah absolutely yeah no, I, I
0: I rewatched it recently, and it just like it, it cracks me up at the most like just randoms
1: random scenes. It just it's really funny, but it's uh, good, good, yeah. yeah. And there's great stuff in it, and, and 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 there's some lovely conceits in it. I mean, having the monkey puppet in the whole thing oh, was, yeah. was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. you just searching for the the puppet. Of the last
0: episode was was, was great.
1: <laughs> yeah, the hysteria. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Now, um, mascots, another you know collaboration that the two of you did, um, kind of like a best in show, you know, with, with mascots. Um, right. yeah, exactly. Did you, um, while filming put on one of the costumes? I know you know you were the, kind of the older
1: hedgehog, but did you ever wear any of the costumes That's it. I didn't, and I had no desire to because everyone who put them on Martin. was sweating profusely and very uncomfortable. Um, so I, I wisely chose not to play a mascot, but apart from that, I was too old to do so. Um, so no, I didn't. Um, yeah, that that was a it's a weird and wonderful film that's done yeah. very very well for Netflix, yeah. I believe. Um, it's it, uh, as you say, it's best in show with with uh, silly mascot costumes, yeah. basically the structure. <laughs> yeah. um, I I I I, uh, I like that movie. I think it's really entertaining. Um, I did feel by the end of it that the genre itself. Of uh, documentary-style comedies, Chris doesn't hates calling them mockumentaries. Right. He said, "I'm not. I'm, we're not mocking anything."
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so it's a bit of a misnomer. But I think those that style of documentary, uh, faux documentary comedy, I think think's a little tired, and it needs to be reinvented. I mean, we've seen it now in TV shows. Oh, um, yeah. We've seen it, you obviously, right, going right back to Spinal Tap. Um, even going further back, you know, I mean, Eric Idle's uh, Rattles, um, you know, was preceded that. So, so the mock, uh, the uh, documentary-style comedy, um, I think, needs to be rethought slightly. We tried to add some in Family Tree, some walking and talking stuff, yeah. which was different, right? And that helps. Um, but, but I—that I, was my one criticism I think that I came away with mascots I think it completely works as a film it's fun it's silly there's some brilliantly funny stuff in it great performances but I did at the end feel okay I think you know that that wheel needs to be reinvented Uh, and I'm not sure that it will now in terms of for for Chris because I'm not sure he really has any desire to he's in his Mm -hmm. mid-70s a lot of the trooper you know that much older now sadly Fred Willard is no longer with us um, we're all getting older, and I was the baby of the group. And then by the time Mascots came along, you know, I was not so much the baby. We had yeah. to find new, younger yeah. people.
0: Yeah, which what, what, what you, what you really did. I mean, uh, you know, like Tom Bennett, who was mascot of Family he, he, oh, He's Oh, absolutely. Brilliant. He, he's,
1: he is great. He's Zach great. Woods, Sarah Baker, Tom yeah. Bennett. Oh, there's so many good people. Yeah, um, Parker Posey. Williams. Um, there's just loads of good young people who are who are really brilliant. Susan Yeagley. Well, Susan's actually now not 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 as young as some of them. Right. Now, when when you and Chris
0: write, how, how easy is it for you to like write yourself into the
1: either the show or the movie and like to to find the right character? Well, it's not that easy actually. I mean, Chris on Family Tree, Chris ended up not knowing what he was going to play till right. the very end and then he decided to do this character that he had sort of a, a vague idea on he'd done like a, a couple of shorts of this character uh just for himself yeah um short films and he he um but at the very last minute i remember it was he said i i i don't want to do it i don't think it's going to work right he had a real sort of sudden self doubt and he said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be in it. Uh, and it was Karen Murphy, the other producer and myself, who persuaded him to, to give it a go. And if it didn't work, we'd cut it. And it turned out it was a very funny character. Yeah. It was a very strange and funny character. And I knew it would be. But but Chris was definitely had doubts on it. Um, I, I think in Mascots, he didn't because he was reprising a role that he, yeah. he had done before. So he felt confident about that. Um, for me, in in Family Tree, mascots was easy because I'd worked for Tom and I knew that that made sense. It was the only the only role I could play, really. Right in masc in in Family Tree, as I talk about this in the book, I literally chose that that character on a dare because okay. we were sitting around and, and and we knew I was going to play the owner of the the antique store who was yeah. kind of Chris O'Dowd's mentor and, and landlord, and um, and he, Chris, sort of early on said, so, you know, what, what silly voice are you going to do for this character? Yeah. And I said, well, I I don't quite know yet how he's going to look, but it's not going to be the usual look. It's going to be something good. He said, good. I love silly mustaches and wigs. That's great. And I said, well, yeah, I'll definitely come up with a weird look. But uh, what's the least funny accent you can think of? And he said, well, OK. And we, we spent about 10 minutes trying to go through what's the least funny accent <laughs> that we've heard. And we ended up on South Africa because it had such connotations. It's a pretty ugly accent anyway. Right. Uh, sorry to all South African listeners. Um, <laughs> it's pretty. Uh, and so, by the way, a lot of British accents are very ugly, but, but uh, and also the connotations of apartheid. And it's usually, you know, in Lethal Weapon 2, I'd done yeah. South Africa as a villain, exactly. although that was a comic villain, but it was one scene. So to actually choose to play that character with that accent throughout the course of a series, was, was literally I did it on a dare because Karen Murphy, again, the, the producer said, please, please, please do not do that voice. It, but every time I did it, when right. we were riffing and going through the writing, he Chris would nod to me and go, Mr. Fister, please. And I would speak in the Fister yeah. voice and he would just immediately laugh. And it's very hard to get Chris to laugh. And and so I, I stuck with it regardless. And, and, I, and I actually, when I watch it back, which I haven't done very often, but I, yeah. I occasionally I'll see a clip someone will send me, up, and I go, "That was really funny. It was really stupid, yeah. and it made no sense." And no right. one ever said, "What's this South African doing in yeah. this particular position?" And no one cared. It was just a silly voice. Yeah, the character was great. The wig you you nailed completely.
0: That was just like so over the top, and it was it was just it was just brilliant. But it was. And yeah. You, yeah, and you mentioned you know Fred Willard before, and you know I can't not talk about Best in Show. The two of you kind of like you know steal it, and you just nail the straight man perfectly. Um, and I know in the book it was like basically a tight turnaround for you to record all you know all, all those scenes. Um,
1: yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, so m- most of that was just ad libs, right? Yeah, absolutely, all of it. Um, pretty much, yeah, all of it. I mean, we, all we knew we, we had to talk about was which category of dog, Yeah, Um, and they wouldn't let me... Chris, we had dinner the night before, and I was sent out of the room because Chris and Eugene wanted to hear what what, um, Fred had in mind, you know, just to get a rough idea. And um, Fred was never short of ideas. (laughs) Um, And uh, so they sent me out of the room. So my reactions were very genuine. And um, I thought that was very smart. Uh, And I I learned a lot from doing that because um, I knew how to be a proactive comedian and and sort of hit my marks and be funny and deliver a line. But I I, I don't think I'd really played the straight man before um, in the same way. So it was good for me to, to realize how little you need to do. Right. And how you can actually be helpful to a comedic scene without doing anything other than reacting and occasionally you know giving a dry reply and and um, and I think that enhanced Fred and made him funnier because he didn't have someone competing mm-hmm. and he didn't have two people trying to be uh, outrageous um, and then you know uh, it, it sort of it, it, the chemistry just happened to be one of those things that you know like it's with sports you put two players together and they gel or they don't gel and and um we we completely gelled and, and it was a lovely experience and we remained great friends for the rest of our life uh his life um uh and what was fascinating about Fred was that actually off camera even though I'm I would put myself on the introspective uh, introvert introvert end of the scale. Yeah. Um uh, compared to Fred I'm an extrovert. Oh wow. He's wow. so so uh quiet and so not the jokester. And I'm much more of of you know I'm not as yeah. crazy as his character but uh it's interesting it's, it was very interesting because we sort of flip-flopped in real life um to a degree. Wow. And I, I was surprised to hear that Eugene Levy was the same way as well. Yes, Eugene's incredibly quiet, and um, uh, I think you can see that in his work. He never plays the, the wild no, and crazy. He yeah. was always, even with John Candy, he was sort of the you know, the straight man, yeah. uh, in that act. Um, but I, I, I definitely, you know, am much more of a Stan Laurel than a Oliver Hardy, nice. and and, uh, and Chris, uh, and, and sorry, Fred was was very much an Oliver Hardy on camera. Yeah. But off camera, boy, he was uh he was very, very quiet, very soft spoken, and could turn it on in a in a heartbeat. Yeah. Now one thing
0: about his movies and your work as well is the outrageous character names you guys come up with. Yeah. How like how difficult is it to come up with some names? Like have you like come up with one so bad that it's like I can't use this? Like was there like a big list? <laughs> well,
1: occasionally, but we spend that would be our guilty pleasure. Chris and I would sort of get to about four o'clock and go, I'm getting tired. We've got an hour or two left. And we'd spend an hour or two just going through as many silly names (laughs) as we could come up with. One of my favorites that never got used was um, Mr. Prino, Mr. Prino, but it's spelled Pricknose. (laughs) (laughs) So I love, I always love those English names where, or French, where you go, you know, it's 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 Magdalen College at Oxford, but it's actually spelled Magdalene. You know, it, it, it's St. John, but you could say St. John. It's like, what? no, right. did, why are you doing that? Yeah. It's just that weird English thing. So we had Mr. It was, it, it, it was Pricknose, but you it pronounced Prino. Right. <laughs> I, love that. I love that. We never used it because it was yeah. just too much. It. it was too, too out there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so when people like see you walk in the street or, or wherever you are and they come up to you and say like, you know. I know you from what's the most popular,
1: like, response? um, it varies, you know. Uh, you know, in, in LA, in indices of more industry towns like LA or New York, yeah. uh, they g- generally know me from the Christopher Guest movies. Uh, yeah. a lot of people outside the industry, it's either a lethal weapon, 2 going way right. back, yeah, um, and going less way back globally. And Friends, I did one episode of Friends. Right. But that yeah. show has been seen by so many people through several generations all over the world. Yeah. So that you know, and uh, I'm trying to think what because when people send me and I get two or three a week uh from all over the world, things to sign cards and pictures, and they're they're often stills from shows or or, or whatever publicity shots from movies and 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 they are very varied. I mean, the thing that I will say is that. I'm not really known for one thing. I mean, obviously, Best in Show, people remember uh, and yeah, He's the British guy from Best in Show. But I have had that sort of slightly anonymous character actor career, which is what I always set out to do, as did Chris, funnily enough. I mean, Chris, people know more as a director if he's singularly defined. But, But as an actor, he was the same. He was a disguise actor. And, and I always set out to do that. And, and it's only in the last few years I've been comfortable playing more myself or close to myself. Um, and it's, I don't know why I was hiding from myself, but but I, I wanted to. And I, I, that's the fun part. I mean, I remember Chris saying, you know, what's the fun in that? It's just like the whole fun of being an actress, to be able to put on silly wigs and do silly voices and, and be someone completely different. And that's how I always viewed it. You know, I mean, it's obviously a very English... Approach to acting because most American schools of acting are you know you 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 dig within yourself and you play a version of yourself and that's how you become a movie star or a TV star and that's why I'm not a movie star or a TV star <laughs> because I never wanted to just pick one thing and stick with it. But the same with my writing. I write across. I write everything except fantasy and science fiction. I write my first movie I had made as a writer was a was a Who Done It. It was a thriller. Um, and then the next thing was a, a wild family comedy. So, yeah. you know, I, I I never wanted to be pigeonholed. Uh, you know, uh, where's the fun in that? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, it burns your horizons and gets you more jobs too, right? I, I imagine. Well, like, you have a more varied career. I've had a very mm. varied, unfortunately, you know, through the writing, I've been very lucky to make a, a little bit to, for it to be a lucrative career, um, primarily through the writing. But, um, but, but I, I, uh, you know, whilst I, you know, people say, you know, well, you, you know, you never became an A-lister or whatever. you know, No, no. I mean, I had shots at pilots that never got picked up or this or that and the other, uh, but that I, i never really to be, if I'm very honest with myself, that's not what I set out to do. Right. And so mission accomplished on, on the score of what I set out to do. Now that's not to say I wouldn't like to play a long running role in a show or uh, in, in, in a series of movies, you know, I mean, I, I'd love to have been in something like the Harry Potter films or, you know, a franchise like that. That would be so much fun, Star Treks or any of those. Just fun to do that and to live with a character over a long period of time. That's the one thing as an actor I've never got to do because I've always changed costumes and wigs and hats and stuff so many times. But I tended to be the perfect guest star, you know, come in, do his thing, get out, um, or, or, a, or a recurring role um or one-off movies you know i i i would love to to do something that's the only thing left i have in terms of my bucket list of ambitions is to to take a character and live with it for a while right and hopefully play something closer to myself now that i i'm at an age where um it's less interesting to to escape from being me yeah how did who's your caddy come about yeah <laughs> <laughs> Here's Your Caddy came about. Actually, I'm going to see someone tonight connected to that. There's a it's an English uh, entertainment reporter called Ross King, okay. who's the main Hollywood reporter for uh, Good Morning Britain and Lorraine Show in England. And he lives up the street from me, and we've been friends for 20 or more than 20 years. And he was friends with Don Michael Paul who's a director who was doing this movie. Mm-hmm. Here's Your Caddy. It's a goofy comedy, and uh, and and Ross was going to be in it. Playing, I think, this role that that the the, the, uh, the secretary of the golf club. It's basically Caddyshack with a black twist on it. Yeah, um, you know, a rapper tries to get into a white country club, and you know, so, uh, and Ross couldn't do it because he was busy, you know, doing his entertainment stuff. So he he recommended me, and I met the and Ross ended up doing a cameo of like one scene in it later, and and but I had to go and be there for the duration of the whole movie, pretty much. Um, so I did that role uh because Ross couldn't. Um and and he uh, doesn't really act anymore. and He hasn't acted for years. So I I went and did that role and um it was the one of the craziest experiences of my life. We were in um uh South Carolina I think it was yeah Aiken South Carolina. And I but I know nothing about golf but um it was there was Jeffrey Jones and I were sort of a double act. He played the president of the golf club, yeah, and I played the secretary. And um, there was another actress on it, Susan. I've got no last name. That's awful. Um, who was oh, very uh, good? Oh, um, uh, Susan Ward. <laughs> yes, yeah, Susan Ward. She, she was great. Um, and and the three of us were proper actors. Right. And the rest of it was like a circus show. There were <laughs> bodybuilders, rappers. <laughs> um, Magicians, you know Andy Millanakis. There was just it was literally every crazy person you can think of <laughs> was in that film, um, except Gilbert Gottfried. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was a freak show, and they were so. I don't think they realized we were making a movie. Right. They thought this was just a paid vacation, and so we were all booked into this hotel in Aiken, North Carolina. South Carolina, which was run by this lovely Englishman of Indian descent, who was so thrilled to have Hollywood people there, uh, although he didn't realize quite that he was quite happy to have everybody party all night. Right, and so the bar was open all night. These people, I mean, I was then probably in my forties, and I was slowing down a bit on the party front, and I was never a drug guy. I, I, you know, enjoy drinking and. Um, I had to move hotels after three days. <laughs> I had to move hotel. I couldn't get any sleep because it was just insane, and, um, and and it carried over into the film. And we we would show up, uh, you know, Jeffrey and I and Susan would show up, at, you know, call time, be ready, hair and makeup, and then we'd sit in our trailers going, "Well, what's happening?" And they'd go, um, we're, "We're still waiting for so and so to come onto set," and we're going, "We're supposed to be here two hours ago." Yeah, yeah, we're trying to find him. Uh, and one day the record was set by Big Boy, um, right? who was, uh, well, I don't know what his real name is. It can't be Big, B-O-I. That's not his real name, I'm sure. He wasn't christened that. Anyway, <laughs> Big Boy uh, was went missing for two days. He went to Vegas to do something and didn't tell anyone. So <laughs> it was just, and we ended up running over so far. It was a summer movie. All set in the summer and golf course. We ended up, the last scene I remember shooting on the golf course, there was snow. It was snowing. <laughs> in South Carolina, it was so late in the year. And we had to get this scene in because the film didn't make sense. Um, it was nuts. I mean, there is a slightly darker side to the fact that there was a bodybuilder, I think it was Mr. Georgia at one point, who was in the film, who I never saw on screen or off screen. And I saw him pretty much every day. Yeah. I never saw him sober. And he was a, a big guy because he'd been this Mr. Universal, whatever, bodybuilding guy. And sure enough, I, you know, read in a paper about three months after he finished shooting that he yeah. he'd died. Oh, wow. He would ghost or something had happened. He, he, you know, his heart gave out. So uh, there is a slightly darker side to that. But uh, I mean, I think that, that that's a, Throw over to a, another era. I mean, I, the stories I heard from Harold Ramis and people of making um, films like Caddyshack and and uh, a lot of those. There was one they made on an island, I think, um, and even even stuff that Eric Idle's talked talked about. You know, Yellowbeard and, and those films. Right. Was monumental amount of drugs going on, uh, and and they, they just became this. You know, I'm sure Animal House to a degree was the same. And, but all those that films of that era. But by the time I arrived in Hollywood, the, the, you know, the stories of Coke being lined up on sets, you know, between takes. Yeah. long that that was not long since it had just passed. And it yeah. was people were getting their act together. Uh, and now if you had a drink at lunchtime, you'd be frowned upon. Yeah. And luckily, I don't like daytime drinking anyway. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was almost like, God, this is my, what it must have been like. Because we made that film, I think, in the early 2000s. I'm thinking, yeah, uh, who's your caddy? Uh, and it was uh, probably 2004 around uh, five. Uh, and it, um, it, I felt while I was doing it, God, this is what it must have been like making movies in the late 70s, early 80s. And the film was, I think, it certainly won some Razzies. <laughs> it was on IMDb's worst rated film ever for a long while. It was bottom. It was right. the worst rated film in history. And then it somehow slowly, with time, become slightly. A cult movie and partly because when interviewed uh, about 10 12 years ago I think um Bill Clinton former president yeah. Bill Clinton was asked what his favorite comedy film was <laughs> and to everyone's astonishment he said who's your caddy and <laughs> um and I don't know whether it says more about him than the film but uh <laughs> right. um, I did watch it again recently because um Annie my my partner had not yeah. seen it um, okay. and I wanted to inflict it upon her um I don't, know what she'd done right. I don't know what she'd done wrong to to, yeah. to deserve but um we watched it and i have to say we both laughed out loud on a number of occasions yeah it's very very funny in certain places it's it's um very broad and there's some great great funny people in it you know uh phase on love who's again a lunatic and i i yeah I think he's, uh, you know, got into a lot of trouble since then. phase on Love. Um, there were some really very very funny people. Yeah, I.
0: Cherry Shepard. Cherry Shepard. Yeah, Shepherd, yeah. yeah. I. Uh,
1: uh, yeah. Garrett Morris.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll admit, I actually saw it in the theater. Did you?
1: Yeah. Wow you you were one of, you were the paying customer you yeah, were well, the one.
0: One of my goals, because I was, I had an afternoon off. And I'm like, let me go see a movie. So, one of my goals in life is to be the only person in the movie theater by itself. Just, oh saw. yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah, I almost had that with Magnolia. It's, so, and uh-huh. then a few people came in. I almost had it with, with who's Your Caddy. Five minutes into the movie, it's like five people came in. Like, I was so pissed. Wow. Yeah. Like, as as
1: yeah. Uh, I heard Hugh Bonneville say recently about something he'd done he said it didn't trouble the box office (laughs) that film didn't trouble the box office um that was true Uh, i love watching films on i used to go when even from a young age yeah i used to go during the day to the first showing in england to see things uh i was the only person in the theater when i watched animal house oh i was still a student and um I, i remember i mean the sign of a good Comedy is that I was laughing out loud all through that movie, yeah, on my own in a right. theater. Yeah. So I came out of that thinking that film was fucking funny because I'm not a big laugher anyway. Okay. I don't laugh out loud very often. I, I'm an internal laugher and an external sneezer, and um, <laughs> and I really thought that film was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Now,
0: one question, I guess, what one were left. You mentioned comedies. Have you seen, like, a good comedy recently? Because I, I feel like there hasn't been that many, like,
1: out in um, like, decade. Uh, last year, uh, I saw an Italian film, because I'm in the BAFTA voting thing and Academy okay. stuff, and I see all the screeners, and I and I didn't like most of the American entries. I really didn't. Um, they, there's very few comedies you get to see anyway. They don't seem to like people having them. There was a film called The Hand of God. Okay an Italian film about uh, an Italian who's obsessed with Maradona. And I thought, "Well, it looks a bit weird. And and I watched it and it was really funny, really, really funny. Genuinely laugh out loud funny and very clever and very heartfelt. So I can recommend The Hand of God. Um, In terms of television, I think the best comedy I've seen uh, for quite a long while uh, was Ted Lasso yeah um which i thought was brilliant because it 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 transcended its sports genre and in fact people who don't like soccer like it more than people who do like soccer well yeah and it's it's beautifully done and it's it's my kind of comedy in the sense that um it's not mean spirited right and i think um so much of comedy feels to me they everyone wants to be edgy you know and and one of the reasons hbo kind of uh, wasn't what well, I don't think one hundred percent committed to family tree was. It, it was too kind. It was too gentle. Yeah. And and I I like. Maybe I'm getting older, but but I like gentle. Even the but even the films I liked when I was younger, like Animal House, is not yeah. mean spirited. No, it, it's 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 it, it's the the good guys win, you know. And and um, I feel that so much comedy became so negative and. I just I, I didn't find it funny, you know. Um, I got to be honest, you know. Uh, there's a show that people love called uh, uh, "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia," which right, ran yeah. for ever. Yeah. And, and I tried many. And I, I think it's more of a guy's show anyway. I don't know, but I, I watched it and a few times, and I just didn't get it. It didn't. It felt kind of like guys just ragging on each other. And I'm like, I can get that at home, you know. Yeah. What I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. I get that when I play soccer every week. Um, I don't know. And, and, and other stuff, you know, I didn't get. I never got girls on HBO. I didn't okay. get it. Just found it vulgar. Uh, yeah. And I'm the king of vulgar. I love fart humor and right. dick humor. Uh, ass jokes. But I I don't know. I just didn't get it. I, uh, maybe it's a... But but Chris is as, as fussy as I am, Chris Guest. And we, we used to go through and go, have you seen this? And he go, yes. Yeah, didn't get it, you know. Yeah. And so comedy's hard. I don't, I think we're in a real fallow period for comedy. I think drama, we're in a, been yeah. in a golden era for at least 10 years, at least. Right. But comedy, I mean, you, you tell me, I mean, what do you think's good? I, I haven't watched a good comedy
0: quite some time. Less good comedy. I'm, I'm going to say mascots. Wow. You know, wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, I did like going way back, the hangover.
1: Which, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was funny.
0: That was good. I mean, that sequels not so much, but yeah, it's 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 really hard now for for a good comedy.
1: It's difficult. I, there was a show yeah. called Friends in College, which
0: a friend of mine yeah. Nick Stolmer, I, did, Yeah, which I thought
1: was pretty good actually. Yeah. I liked.
0: I, I watched that. that. That that was good. But the, the, um, I mean, that the was review, more of a
1: dramedy. You know. Yeah. The, yeah. The review. They killed it on the reviews, but it, it was funny. I, I enjoyed it. I am looking forward to Party Down coming back. Yeah. I I, yes. I did an episode of that show. I remember. it yeah. was, It was um. It was one of the few shows that I've been in that I was a massive fan of. Yeah, loved that show, and it's so talented the people in it. The writing was great, and again, not mean spirited. Yeah, but still has an edge. It's not like right. precious. Uh, yeah, and I think people get confused with edginess. Uh, they don't know what it really means, and, and everything became about let's be edgy. Or the phrase I kept hearing executives say is, it's, "You know, this show's not noisy enough. It's not going to. We right. need to show that it creates more noise." I don't, I don't I don't like noise. I I like, to, <laughs> and this right. is the sound of laughter. I, I, who wants noise? I want to yeah. subtle, brilliant, smart, funny things.
0: Yeah, you, and you mentioned uh, Party Down, uh, Ryan Hansen, who was yeah, a, he, he had a show I think on YouTube. Red it was called Ryan Hansen solves murders on TV or solves crimes on TV. Yeah, it, it was it was re- really funny. He basically played oh, good. himself. Yeah, he played himself and he was just trying to research a role so he got hooked up with a cop it was, it was it
1: was really funny he's good he's a lovely guy and he's good and he he, he deserves all the success he's had because he's yeah. talented and he's he's a very very nice kid and and, 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 and funny yeah, so um, yeah, look. Not to, to be, be that good-looking and funny, you know.
0: Yeah, I you know the, per- the perfect match. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean,
1: I've managed it, but very few others do. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm, <laughs> I haven't. So that's unfortunate. But. <laughs> but where can find people find the uh, the book to buy?
1: Um, any, uh, I mean, Amazon's the easiest. Yeah. You'll get it the next day. Um, and it, and it registers sales better than other bookshops. Um. So, Amazon, your local Amazon will get it. You'll have it the next day. And it's in all formats uh, hardcover, paperback, uh, audiobook, and uh, ebook. Um, that would be my recommendation. You can do it through my website, jimpiddock.com, or just go to Amazon and search for uh, Caught with My Pants Down and Other Tales from a Life in Hollywood. But Caught with My Pants Down will get you there. There's not too many other books called Caught with My Pants Down
0: right and you know the the cover is great and i don't want to you know go into too many stories in the books i want people to enjoy them because that some of them are really laugh out loud funny but uh jim i appreciate your time today this was fantastic
1: thank you very much it's been a pleasure
0: and a special thanks to jim for joining me today go check out his website com. on twitter he's at real jim Go check out Caught With My Pants Down and Other Tales from Life in Hollywood. He told you where to find it. And if you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at the first zero 19 or like the page with My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we have had. While you're there, please rate review the show. If you don't have iTunes, not a problem. The show can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbeat, Amazon Music. Basically, wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes in every week. Happy Holidays, everybody. See you soon.